How many of you guys like ghost stories? You can show, show a hand. If you're online, you can raise your hand, even if you're sitting in your room by yourself. It's okay. No one will judge you for that. Um, I like ghost stories. T- today, I'm going to start off with a little story, and then we're going to dive into our talk. Uh, this week, while um, I was home with my wife, we were talking in the kitchen, and I was thinking about the message. And sure enough, my youngest, who turns four this week, Juliana, um, she's the one who you're probably going to hear making a lot of noise over here, but that's okay. Uh, she was running around the dining room, and we have this bench kind of along one of the walls, and that's where our dog tends to sit and sleep. And she tried to run and jump on top of the bench, but missed and hit the, the bench like right at her like diaphragm level. And you know, as, as a parent, when you hear like a loud thud, you, you typically expect to hear some cries afterward. We heard nothing. And, and if you're a parent, you know that that's scarier than not hearing cries, right? So we run into the room, not really sure what, what we're expecting to see. But instead of her, her crying, she stands up and she's gasping. <gasps> it, it knocked the air out of her. The first time it happened, and we're trying to comfort her, and all she kept saying is, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Have you ever felt that way? You see, what, what's, what's really interesting is, is how important breathing is. That's actually what we're going to talk about this morning. But what I find interesting is it's kind of built into our system, isn't it? Like, you don't have to tell yourself right now, breathe, breathe. Like on your way to church this morning, you didn't remind yourself to breathe. Sit, sitting here, you didn't, really like, you didn't remind yourself to breathe. It just kind of happens involuntarily. It's kind of built into your system, and, and we're happy about that. Now, sometimes we do think of breathing, you know, if we're, we're running or swimming or working out, you're trying to count your breaths and breathe properly. But we don't do that all the time. Sometimes we have to do that with parents. We have to remind our kids to breathe and, and, and take a deep breath. As a matter of fact, here's what I'd like us all, all to do. We're going we're gonna to take a deep breath. Right? And if you haven't done this before, this isn't weird, and we're not going to creep you out. But I want everybody right now, if you would, just take a deep breath in and out. Feels kind of good, doesn't it? You see, what's amazing is that breathing kind of equals life, doesn't it? it we, we, we breathe the air in, and we breathe it out. And if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to live. We wouldn't be able to, to, to function. It just kind of happens. It's built into us. It's amazing. From the first time that you actually took your first breath, right? You, you, were, you were born, you, you came out of your mother's womb, and, and, and it's amazing. I actually looked this up on Wikipedia, which is, you know, the truest source of information on the Internet, so you can fact check me. Um, if you're in the medical field, I'll probably get some of these details wrong, but that, that's okay. Uh, you, you come out of your mother's womb, and the change in environment, the change in temperature, it, it, it actually causes this involuntary action in a baby to gasp. <gasps> and take their first breath within like one to 10 seconds of them coming out from their mother's womb. And when they do, the air flows through their nostrils and their, their breathing tube down into their, their, their lungs, and it kind of fills it up. And there's this, this sac that's very thin, and it's got these vessels on the side of it and these capillaries. And when you breathe the oxygen in, it flows through that into these, these capillaries. And the capillaries take the oxygen to the rest of your body, and you begin to breathe, maybe for the first time, you begin to breathe and experience life from the, you know, the bottom of your toes to the tip of your head. You breathe in life. It's this amazing experience. And then you know, the blood vessels kind of work in reverse and bring it back up, and it, the, the air passes through the vessels, and it carries the carbon dioxide and all the bad stuff out. It's, it's just amazing how important breathing is, but, but to me, how involuntary it is, how it just kind of happens to us. We just kind of breathe. And it happens. You see, point one, if we're going to really cover anything today, is that God's amazing. Whatever you believe about creation or, or how we were made, I mean, God is just amazing how all of this works. <clears throat> Even if you, for a moment, just forget about science, just for a minute, forget about everything you've learned, just for a minute. And one more time, 
even if you're sitting at home, just take a deep breath, right? And, and here's what we're going to do. Close your eyes this time and take a deep breath. I, I promise we're not going to do anything weird. Just close your eyes for a moment and take a deep breath in. Ready? One more time. You kind of feel like better, don't you? You see, if you were to actually do that for an extended period of time, just close your eyes and breathe in, breathe in and breathe out, you actually feel the tension begin to release. It's, it's almost like the bad stuff comes out and the good stuff comes in. It's like you're breathing life into your very body. And that's how God designed it. See, we've been in this, this talk about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at, at, at the Holy Spirit, not just in the New Testament where we tend to focus, but, but what's interesting about the Holy Spirit is that he's been around for a really long, long time. It, it actually starts at, at the, the very beginning of Scripture, the Holy Spirit and how God designed this and, and, and how amazing this actually is. The, the, the word for the Holy Spirit in, in the Hebrew language, uh, and I find this really interesting that this is actually what it means. The word for the Holy Spirit is called ruach. You got to say that, and when you say that, you say it with, with a bunch of them like, ruach. And what it means is breath or wind. That's how they describe the Spirit of God as breath or wind. Last week, we started this discussion off, and we talked about how, how the Holy Spirit kind of came into being, if you would, the first time we see it in the New Testament, in the, the, the Christian scriptures. But that wasn't the first time it was mentioned. He was also mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures. But so many of us just kind of overlooked that. And if we're not careful, we, kind of, uh, we can kind of think of the Holy Spirit almost linearly, right? That, like there's God and he was first and then Jesus showed up and we, when, when Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came. As a matter of fact, that's kind of what we talked about last week, that, that there was God and God sent Jesus and Jesus came and he did his thing. But when Jesus was here, remember, he talked about the Spirit often and he said, hey, guys, I'm going to go away and when I go away, God's going to send something better to you. And they're thinking, Jesus, there's nothing better than you. Right, right. When you're here, I feel great. When you're here, I'm not scared. When you go away, I get scared. So, so don't go away because there's nothing better than you. And Jesus said, no, it's better for you that I do this. And then he did. He, he, he died. And he was resurrected. And then he came back to life. And then he went away. And the disciples are in chaos and disorder, freaking out about what are they going to do now. And then God sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings, brings order. The Holy Spirit brings power. The Holy Spirit brings direction and focus. Because what Jesus said is true, and what the disciples end up discovering is true, that the Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. Because Jesus can be beside you for a moment, and then he's going to go and he's going to be beside you for a moment, and he's going to be beside you. But the Holy Spirit is inside you. He, he indwells you. He never leaves you. He's always with you. And as the disciples ended up discovering, that was better than this. The Holy Spirit is, is quite amazing. And as we're going to find about this morning, his role in our life, his role in nature, his role in human history is much bigger than we ever give him credit for. As a matter of fact, if you were to open your Bibles to the very first page after the table of contents, you would come to a book called Genesis. And in Genesis, in the first two verses, the author of Genesis incorporates the Holy Spirit into the creation narrative. Here's how it actually starts off. It says, in the beginning... You probably have heard this before. God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. And those are important words. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Ruach, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the waters. From the very beginning, the Spirit was. From the very beginning of, of Scripture that we have, the Spirit was present. 
It, it didn't come in, in this linear sense that it was God and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit. No, he was always there. He always had a role. But his role in the Old Testament looked very different than his role looked in the New Testament. His role actually shifts a little bit. But if we're to kind of look at what the Holy Spirit does and his kind of role in human history, you would have to start off by saying it this way. The Holy Spirit really is an agent of creation. He was there. He brought this creation into existence. He did something absolutely amazing. He took nothing and made it something. Now, some of you are creative. You might be artists. And if we gave you, you know, uh, uh, some, some paints and, and a canvas, you could create something amazing, couldn't you? Creating something out of something is, is absolutely amazing. But creating something out of nothing, that's powerful. That was the Holy Spirit. He, he was the agent of creation. But not only was he the agent of creation, he was the arranger of creation. He's the very reason that we have order instead of chaos. He's the reason that he kind of set up these systems and processes in the human body. He's probably the very reason we can even breathe. He's not just the agent. He's also the arranger of creation. And then finally, he was the protector of creation. He protected life. He upheld creation and protected creation. The Holy Spirit had a big role a huge role in what we're doing, in, in how we're living, in human history, beyond just shrubs and plants and animals. He actually speaks to, to you, to the very first human being, to humanity. The Genesis narrative continues. It says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. And here it is. And he breathed in his nostrils the breath of God, or the ruach, the spirit of God. And then man became a living being. Then man lived. In a very real way, God, through the Holy Spirit, breathed life into you. You came to life to, as, as humanity. We came into being and into living through the Holy Spirit. And so when we think of the Holy Spirit, he's not just the, this newer thing. He's this very ancient thing. He's been around forever. And he creates and he orders and he sustains all life forever, always. But what's really interesting is if you continue to read through the Jewish scriptures through the Old Testament, <clears throat> this, this methodology of the Holy Spirit, it, it seems to be very different than what we associate with in the New Testament. It's almost like, like how he functions in the Old Testament is, is very different than how he would function today. I could give you an example and an example of this, but we're just going to look at a few this morning to, so we kind of get the idea. We're going to start with a man named Samson. You probably have heard of Samson. He had these long, beautiful, flowing locks of hair and this incredible strength. You see, we begin to think that, that his strength came from his long hair, but, but it wasn't. That was just a symbol. Here's where his strength came from. The scripture actually says this. The spirit of the Lord, or, or the Ruach, the Holy Spirit of God, came powerfully upon Samson. He came upon Samson so that he had the strength to tear apart a lion with his bare hands as he might have torn apart a young goat. Now, what's weird to me is, is I don't know if Samson actually walked around like tearing apart young goats for a game. Like, hey, look what I can do. And then the spirit of God came on and said, hey, now watch this. But, but it came on him in such a powerful way that he could do something that seemed absolutely impossible. And it wasn't just Samson. If we look at, at another famous person in the Old Testament, you've heard of King Saul. King Saul, he had a very similar story. Watch what happened to King Saul. When King Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. Or the translation is, before that moment, Saul had never prophesied. Saul could never prophesy. But then the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, came on him, and he began to prophesy 
with the other prophets. He began to do things that he had never been able to do before. That was the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God. But, but the story of the Holy Spirit doesn't end there. Just a few chapters later, we then read this. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. So it, it, could, it could come on and it could come off. And it seemed a little happenstance. It almost seemed a, a, little, a little trivial. Like, like, what's the cause? What's the reason? You see, we could, we could definitely say this, that the Holy Spirit <coughs> creates, orders, and sustains life, as we have said before. But what's really interesting is that in the Old Testament, it seems to be at God's discretion and national direction. It seems to happen without any real cause, without any real reason. It just comes and then it goes. But that's not how we see things function in the New Testament. You see, we can all agree the Holy Spirit was involved since the beginning. But the way the Spirit has been involved seems to have changed a lot. And now we're going to fast forward thousands of years to the New Testament. In the New Testament, I want to introduce you to a man named Nicodemus. You may have heard of Nicodemus. He was alive about 2,000 years ago. He lived at the same time as Jesus. As a matter of fact, they were in the same place. <clears throat> they, they kind of met with the same kinds of people. Nicodemus was a Jewish boy, and he was a really good Jewish boy. He grew up memorizing Jewish scripture and, and understanding the law. He was actually so good at it that he became a Pharisee. Pharisees were like the, the religious leaders of their day. His actual job was this. It, it was to obey the law, to understand the law, and help other people obey the law. That was it. He was really concerned about being good, about, about honoring the law, because all of their interpretation of the law was, if we're good, then we'll be in good with God. If we can do good enough, then God will be good with us. And that's really what we want, because what we don't want is to be in bad with God, right? We don't want God to be mad at us. So we've got to be good, kind of obedient, law-abiding citizens. That was Nicodemus. He was a follower of followers, a behavior of behaviors. He did the best he could to honor the law. Nicodemus had heard of this guy, Jesus, as most Pharisees did, because Jesus kind of stirred the pot and people were uncomfortable with him. Nicodemus had questions for him, though. He wanted to, he wanted to know what was happening because he saw something different in Jesus that he had never seen before. You see, Jesus taught, but he didn't teach like everybody else thought. He taught with authority. Jesus said things about God, but he didn't say things about God that anybody else had ever said before. And Nicodemus, although he looked at him and he, he would look at Jesus and think, he, he might be a rabbi, but he didn't come up like other rabbis. He, he's a really good teacher, and, but there's something different about him. It's almost like there was this, this inner conflict, this turmoil in Nicodemus. Like he could be a good teacher, but, but he's doing things that nobody else has ever done before. Could he be the Messiah? You see, Jesus started doing things nobody else had done. He was, he was doing, performing miracles, and he was performing these signs. Everybody wanted Jesus to show up at a party because, you know, the whole water to wine thing. That was just amazing. Nicodemus could see something different in Jesus, but, but he didn't know exactly what it was. But he had a question, and he wanted the question answered. And you see, what was interesting about Nicodemus is he had seen other people ask Jesus questions, but Jesus didn't answer the questions. Jesus would respond with more questions, and that wasn't good enough for Nicodemus. He had a question, and he needed it answered. And this is where our story picks up in John chapter 3. <clears throat> John tells us this. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which basically means he was a really important guy. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a ruling Pharisee. He came to Jesus at night. And we're not sure what, what, why that actually happened. If, you know, he worked all day and he could only get away at night to meet with Jesus, I tend to think it was more because he didn't want anyone else to see him meeting with Jesus he was embarrassed because the other Pharisees hated Jesus and they didn't want to associate Nicodemus with Jesus. 
So he found a way to kind of secretly meet with Jesus at night. And he starts off the conversation by saying, Rabbi, he's kind of buttering Jesus up. Right? Rabbi, I know a bunch of people, other people have asked you questions, but, but I'm Nicodemus. I'm like the Pharisee of Pharisees. So I, I don't want you to just a, a respond to my question with more questions. I want an answer to my question. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Because in Nicodemus's understanding, nobody could do the things that Jesus did. Nobody performed signs and miracles the way that Jesus did. You remember in, in the Old Testament, it was all about the Holy Spirit coming on people. Like He came on Samson. He came on Saul. He's thinking the same thing. The Holy Spirit is clearly with you. Clearly, God sent you because the Holy Spirit's on you. You're doing things nobody else has ever done before. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. What's interesting is, is he calls them signs and not miracles. Because he's watching Jesus' life and he's watching the things Jesus is doing, all these miracles, and he knows the Old Testament prophecies, and he's, he's kind of lining them up, and they're beginning to match. And he's thinking, okay, this, this is more than other people are giving it credit for. This just isn't a teacher. This isn't some, some wild guy from Galilee. Something, something more is happening here, Jesus. And he's ready to ask his question. He's all primed. He's buttered him up. He said, hey, clearly you're from God. He, now let me get to my question. But before he can even ask, Jesus does the thing Jesus always does that I'm sure frustrated Nicodemus to the bone. Jesus begins to answer the question before Nicodemus can even ask. He butters him up. Surely you're from God. Jesus replies, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus is, is completely bothered by this question. Do you understand this, Jesus? I'm, I, I'm Hebrew. I'm Jewish. I was born into the kingdom of God. Are you telling me that there's another kingdom that, that's, that's happening, that's being created, that I'm not a part of, and that it's not my birthright to be a part of it? Uh, Jesus, I don't understand this. You're not making any sense. And what do you mean born again? Like, they're, they're like clearly, you don't know what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, he actually responds to Jesus with a little bit of sarcasm. He says this. He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Good, good question. Nicodemus says, surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb and be born. I mean, that, that's just a horrible visualization, isn't it? It's like, thank Nicodemus. Thank you so much for putting that in my head. I never wanted to think of that. But he makes a good point. He's saying, Jesus, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, like th this doesn't make any sense to me. I was Jewish. I'm part of God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. And not only that, I'm a Pharisee. I'm like the cream of the crop of God's chosen. And you're telling me th that, that I, can't, I, I can't even see the kingdom Unless I'm part of this other kingdom, this other thing about being born again. And he's really sarcastic with Jesus because I don't think he's used to being, not being the smartest guy in the room. Right? He doesn't understand. He's a little confused. He kind of responds the same way we do when we're confused. He just kind of bites back with sarcasm. But Jesus responds to him out of love. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Now it's, it's entered. Before it was they can't see it. Now they can't even enter the kingdom unless they are born of water, which is physical, and the Spirit. This is where it gets interesting. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Hey, Nicodemus, you know how the Romans, when they get pregnant and they give birth, they're giving birth to Romans? And when Jews, you know, when they get pregnant and give birth, they're giving birth to Jews. And Nicodemus, I'm sure, is thinking, I get it, right? I'm smart. I'm not that dumb, Jesus. He said, well, it's the same way with the kingdom. You could be born physically from your physical parents, and, and that's the water. That's the physical side. But, but if you want to get into this kingdom, if you want to be a part, if you want to enter and see this kingdom that God's created, being born in the physical isn't enough. 
You need to be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is confused. Nicodemus doesn't understand. Jesus, I've, I've never heard things like this before. You're, you're almost like talking in riddles. I, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm sure his question would be very much like our question. How can you be born of the Spirit if the Spirit comes and goes at God's discretion and direction? I mean, it doesn't seem very fair, Jesus. The Spirit, as far as Nicodemus understands, he just comes and goes where, where he wants or where he chooses or maybe at God's discretion. Is that the way it is? Is this the God I serve, that, that there's, there's no order to this? He just kind of picks and chooses, and the only way to get in good graces and into God's kingdom is to be born of this spirit that, by the way, God can send when he wants to who he wants and take it away whenever he wants? That doesn't seem very fair to me. Jesus, I don't think I like your answer. This, this I don't like. This doesn't make any sense. This seems unfair. Jesus turns the conversation and says, Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised by me saying that you must be born again. You shouldn't be surprised by this. I mean, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the law. You've studied the Old Testament. You've studied the covenant. You've studied the scriptures. You know all of this. Nicodemus is thinking, you're right, I do. I know the Abrahamic covenant. I know the, the Messianic covenant. I know the law. I, I know if I had to get in good with God, right? I know you have to obey to be in good graces with God. But you're saying that's not enough. You're saying if I just behave well, that I'm not in good graces with God. I don't understand. And for many of us, we probably have had the same question. I thought just being good enough was good enough to get in good with God. Jesus is saying, no, Nicodemus, there's, there's so much more. You can't behave your way in. You can't just be good enough and get in. You can't be born into the right group of people at the right period of time. Something else needs to take place. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. And Nicodemus, I'm sure, is thinking, okay, this guy's like high as a kite. What is he talking about? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And this may be one of the most confusing verses in the entire New Testament, but, but here's essentially what it means. She's saying, hey, Nicodemus, you, you know how, how, how you can feel the wind? He's like, yep. But it's not just, a, not only Jewish people can feel the wind, right? Everybody can feel the wind. Yeah, I get that. So it'll be with the Spirit. See, when the Spirit comes, it's for everyone. And his work that he's going to do, this new thing, this new regeneration, it's not just for the Hebrews. It's not just for the men. It's not just for the Pharisees. Nicodemus, this new thing is for everyone. And Nicodemus responds very much the same way I think you and I would, would respond. How can it be? How can it be? Jesus, this makes no sense. This doesn't line up with anything that, that, that I've read or that I've studied. How can it be? How can it be that you, that you have to have this, this new life, this new birth? You have to be born again, but I don't understand because this doesn't make any sense to me, Jesus. How can it be? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe you've literally asked that question to God. God, how can it be? How can it be that I can't behave well enough to get into your kingdom, to be in good graces with you? Well, why is it that I, I can't just be generous enough to, to be in, in your kingdom? Why, do, why does it seem like I have to do more? Why does it seem like there's more to the story than this? God, how can it be? This conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus goes on for a while, so I don't have time to read the whole thing to you. But if you're interested, John chapter 3. Read it, check it out. It's an incredible conversation. 
This goes on for a while, but towards the end of the conversation, John decides to summarize it. Because my feeling is John's looking back as he's writing this, this story down that Jesus probably gave him firsthand. He's putting the pieces together and thinking, this is going to confuse people. People aren't going to understand. But in hindsight, at the end of his life when John's writing this, he has like 20-20 vision, right? He can see clearly. He can see what it means to be born of the Spirit and to be born again and how that plays out. But he knows when people are reading this without knowing the end, without knowing what happens, they're not going to get it. There's a bunch of confusion. So John says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to summarize it all into this one verse. I'm going to put it all together about what Jesus is talking about, about being born again, about being filled with the breath of God, with the Spirit of God, and how we live that out. Because there's a lot of confusion. Nicodemus was confused. When John wrote this, people were confused. And in fact, if we're being honest, people are still confused today. So John summarizes the whole conversation this way. In John 3.16, the most famous passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. You could probably say it by heart, couldn't you? For God so loved the world. Not the Jews. Not the men. Not certain races. Not certain, certain genders. Everyone. John's starting something new because this had never been said before. God doesn't just love the Jews. No, God loved the world so much that he gave the thing that was most important to him, his one and only son, that he gave Jesus to die for your sin, to die for your mistakes, to, to pay the penalty of, of all of your sin, and not just your sin. Try to like fathom this unfathomable thought. The entire world's sin for all of time. Jesus would come and he would pay that penalty and he would die for your sin. And then he would come back to life. And that's, that's the amazing thing about this story. God loved us so much that he was willing to give us his son. And his son was willing to pay our debt for our sin. And that whoever would believe in him, that's like the key thing here. Whoever would believe in Jesus let, let, let me take a break for just a moment to say this. It, what John doesn't say is here, here is whoever believes the entire Old Testament, whoever believes the, the, the creation narrative happened exactly how the creation narrative happened, whoever believes everything they've ever been taught about faith. No, he said whoever believes in him, whoever believes that God loved you so much that he sent his only son into the world to die for your sin and then come back to life to show everybody for all of time that not even death can take away what God is for. He said, that's it. If you believe in that, that's all you need. The rest comes later. Understanding comes later. And let's be honest, that doesn't take a lot of belief, does it? I mean, we think like this is this amazing decision that I could never make, but it doesn't take a lot of faith to believe that God would do that backtracked to, to, to the time of Jesus. There were 11 disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection. All 11 of them gave their lives for the Christian faith. Uh, let, me, let me even ask, ask you even more. What would your brother have to prove, do to prove to you that he was the son of God? What would he have to do? I, I mean, that was Jesus and James. James was the brother of Jesus. And James didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus was alive and doing the miracles and teaching. He thought he was nuts. And then later after his resurrection, James believed that Jesus was the son of God, the Messiah, and became the leader of the Jerusalem church. But what changed? What shifted? Maybe perhaps it was that his brother said, hey, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to come back to life. And then he did it. He watched his brother die, and then he had lunch with his brother three days later with holes in his hands and his side. What would your brother have to do? 
What if, what if you, you were just so focused on this one goal of doing this one thing with your life, like stomping out this, this horrible religion that's causing this uprising, and you had papers to go everywhere around the known world to do this, and you were good at it, and then one day you bumped into Jesus, and you became the best missionary that ever lived. That was the Apostle Paul's story. What would it take to make that change? I mean, the only answer really is a resurrected Savior. John says, that's it. That's what you have to believe. Believe in Jesus, that he was the Son of God and that God sent him here for a purpose, to take away your sins, to show you that not even death could stop what God was going to do. If you believe in that, he says, well, you can have eternal life. You won't die. But you can experience eternal life. You can experience the kingdom of God, not just in the life to come, but right now. That doesn't take a lot of faith, does it? The, the faith part comes after. The faith part is really about why all this happened. Why did God do this? But to believe that God would do this, that God would send his only son for you and for you and for you and for you, to show you that he loves you, to take away all of your guilt and all of your shame and all of your mistakes, and in return to offer you something that nobody else could offer you, forgiveness and joy and peace and a hope and a future. I don't know, that just doesn't seem too outlandish to me. It seems like if there was a God, that's kind of what God would do. And the truth is, that's where we are. We're at a moment where we can accept this amazing thing that God's done. And our lives would be forever changed. Because here's essentially what Jesus taught, and here's what we know. And here's what could be true for you this morning. If you've never made that decision to believe, to put your faith in Jesus, we breathe in the Spirit when we believe in the Son. We breathe in the Spirit when we decide to put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, as the Son of God. He comes in and he begins to do something new. The Bible calls it the work of regeneration. He actually makes you new. The, the, the scriptures say that it's like the old thing in you dies. This old nature, this old way of doing things. And this new, this new thing, this new creation, it begins to live. He breathes life into this new thing and recreates who you are and how you think and your priorities and your structure and your worldview. All of that changes over time, but it starts with the moment we say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in the work that you've done and I put my faith in you. And we breathe in the Spirit when we begin to believe in the Son. And all of heaven celebrates. You see, what's interesting is our family celebrates the day we were born. I just celebrated a birthday this week. But, but when we become born again, when we kind of breathe in the Spirit and we are born of the Spirit, all of heaven celebrates. A party is thrown in celebration. You hear me say it anytime we talk about it. It's the greatest decision you've ever made, and all of heaven is throwing a party for you and for the decision you made. Because not only were you born once, but you were born the second time of the Spirit. And this is what the Spirit does. I mean, I mean think about this. This is so true of us, isn't it? On our own, and we all try to do this. We try to figure this out on our own. Last week, I shared a story with you that I was in that position where I, where I maybe... You know, I grew up understanding faith and loving Jesus, but, but over time I just kind of forgot about all that and I just tried to do life and do faith and do church on my own. 
And maybe you're in the same position. Maybe for years you, 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 would, you had accepted Jesus and the Spirit came in and he breathed life into you, but it just kind of got old, right? You just kind of stepped away. You forgot and you've done it on your own. And we all try to. But, but here's the truth. On our own, we can't. We can't do the things the Spirit does, right? We can't make peace out of chaos, no matter how hard we try. We can't do it. We can't make abundance from emptiness. Like only the Spirit can take nothing and make something. We can't turn light into darkness. And we absolutely can't bring life from death. But God can. God can. Through the Spirit, He can bring life out of death. He can bring light into darkness. He can take what felt empty. Maybe you feel that way, just empty and dark and alone, worthless. He can bring life and He can bring value and He can bring joy and He can bring, he can bring abundance to, to this emptiness that you're feeling. You see, we can't, but God can. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit takes our formless, empty, dark life and creates and arranges and protects our new life. This new life we experience when we believe in Jesus and we breathe in the Spirit. So let me, let me conclude with this question. It's a question that... To be completely honest with you, I think it's an exceptionally important question. As a matter of fact, I think it's the question God would be asking you this morning. What's keeping you? What's keeping you from breathing in the breath of life? What's keeping you from breathing in the breath of life? In this moment, don't be distracted by the worship team. They're going to come up and get ready. We're going to sing some songs. But what is keeping you? Maybe you've never made that decision before. What's keeping you from it? You feel empty, you, you, feel, you feel darkness, you feel like there's no hope. I mean, we've just lived and survived through a pandemic. And you're feeling robbed of your life and your joy. What's keeping you from breathing in the breath of life? Maybe you did it years and years and years ago, but like I said, you just, you just kind of did your own thing. You just kind of tried to do it in your own strength. And the more you did, the less you relied on the Holy Spirit, the less this new life that God created meant something to you. What's keeping you this morning from doing it again, from breathing in the breath of life? From as physically as we did it this morning, we just took a deep breath in and felt a little peace and a little life. What's keeping you from doing that now? See, when the Spirit comes, He can do things no one else can do for you. He can provide you joy. He can provide you the peace that passes all understanding. He can allow you to live in this broken world and not be broken by it. What's keeping you? What's keeping you from breathing in the breath of life? Here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to sing some songs together. But as we do, I want you to take this time to reflect. What's keeping you from saying, Jesus, I believe? Father, I believe. This doesn't seem so outlandish. If there is a God, I mean, if you're here, the truth is you're probably curious. If there is a God that doesn't seem so outlandish, that he would love you so much, that he would send his only son to the world to do something for you that no one else could do. And if you believe in that, John says, eternal life, the kingdom of God is yours. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for this incredible truth. God, that you loved us 
And you loved us so much that you gave us the thing that was most valuable to you. And you were willing to see that thing, that, that, that valuable thing, your son, broken and destroyed. God, because you wanted a relationship with us and that was the only way to have it. God, so I pray for all of us here, Lord. If we're on the fence, maybe we've never made that, that decision before to say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. God, this morning, give us the courage to take that step. And maybe we're here and we've done it maybe years ago. Maybe it's been decades, God. Maybe we did it as a child and now we're grown and we have kids of our own. But we've kind of walked away. It hasn't been a priority. It hasn't been something we've lived in. We've tried to do it in our own strength. And, and by doing it in our own strength, Lord, we've, we've, we've encountered weakness and brokenness and loss and emptiness. God, I, I pray for us this morning that we would have the courage to make that decision, to breathe in the breath of life again, to believe in the Son. God, to experience that new life that you would provide. Lord, the kingdom of God, not just in eternity, but even here in our lives now. Give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as a worship team.